Water is fundamental to human development, from drinking water and sanitation to agriculture and more. You listen to Water Stories, a podcast series where you will learn everything about securing water, energy, and food security for all of us. Hello everyone, I am Juan Carlos Giraldo and welcome to Water Stories, a podcast series where you will learn topics related to water management from the Stockholm Environment Institute experts. According to the United Nations report on the development of water resources in the world 2021, we have to recognize, measure, and express the value of water and incorporate it into decision making. This will be essential to achieve the sustainable development goals of the 2030 Agenda. Also, I would like to add that during the COP26 last year in Glasgow, mark a welcome change. The water is included in climate agenda. Therefore, the value of water is important. Having said this, we will discuss in this episode the value of water. My co-host in this episode is Vishal Meta. Vishal is an environmental scientist with more than 15 years of experience in different countries in water resource research, forest conservation, and sustainable development. His base is in Davis, California, Office of Stockholm Environment Institute, United States Center. Hello, Vishal. How are you? Happy to have you again as a co-host to discuss this topic. Thanks, JC. It's my pleasure. And today I'm particularly happy to introduce my two colleagues, Laura Forney and Annette Huberly. Both are senior scientists in our water group with a great deal of background and experience in many countries around the world on this subject of valuing water on economics, poverty, and gender. So welcome, Laura and Annette. Hello, Laura. Hello, great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, Annette. How are you? Thank you so much. Thank you for including me in this conversation. Annette, I would like to start this conversation by asking you, when we see from the space, our planet is predominantly blue, seemingly abundant of water, right? However, only 1% of the surface is fresh water. The world urgently needs to value this resource. In your opinion, why is so essential the value of water? And also, what is the perspective of the Stockholm Environment Institute in this particular situation? This is such an important question. Water is perhaps the most valuable resource on this planet for human life. Water is essential for life. We need water to survive, not only for drinking, but for the food we eat and for virtually every dimension of our lives, whether we are living at the level of a billionaire or a person who's living below the poverty line. For a wealthy person, water is embedded in the products they use, the production of cars, the mining of metals, the cooling of power plants, the processing and transport of food, etc. But the value of that water is hidden from those who are wealthy, as we as a society do not adequately price water nor give it the recognition of its value in our public media. On the other hand, the very poor are acutely aware of the value of water, carrying it for miles, suffering when the water quality is inadequate, keeping children from attending school to get water or recover from waterborne illnesses. Almost universally, the poor pay much more for water they use than the rich in both high-income and low-income countries. It is critical that we start valuing water in public policy and in the public media, particularly as we find that face climate change, which will play out 
most forcefully in water-related events, including droughts, floods, hurricanes, snowfalls, glacier melting, and sea level rise. When we value water, we will be able to mobilize the resources needed to adapt to climate change and find more equitable allocations of water across rural and urban communities, as well as wealthy and poor communities. SEI's role in particular is to highlight the disconnect between the value of water at micro and macro scales so that decision makers are aware that the value of water and, and make according major and long-term investments needed to address the consequences of climate change so that we collectively have a more resilient future from local to global scales. Yeah, Annette, you mentioned the word disconnect. And uh, you know, I've been thinking about how water scarcity is a daily experience for millions of people around the world. Uh, in many parts of the world, there's no 24-7 pipe water supply, which most of us in the U.S. we take for granted. So people use water from so many different sources, like bottled water, groundwater, lakes, rivers, water tankers. There's not a perfect market operating in these situations. Pricing is not regulated either. And uh, like you mentioned, a re related reality is that the poor often pay more for water. So I was thinking about your work, Laura, as well. And in your opinion, Laura, why does this happen? Why does it happen that the poor often pay more for water? And are there examples of promising solutions in such cases? Yes, thank you, Vishal. Yes, as Annette indicated, the burden of not having water is greater for the poor. And it's something that through our project and work, we discovered that it happens in, in the developing world, definitely, but also in the developed world. And one example is in California, Hocking Valley, where their community members living in agricultural areas but don't have water to save drinking water in their homes, or the faucets are contaminated and they must buy bottled water, which is very expensive. And these communities are the ones that are uh, disadvantaged and they definitely cannot afford them buying bottled water every day and, and living with that stress, right, of not having water for, for the families and, and their children. But going to back to the global south where a lot of the work that we do focus on this problem of lacking water uh, in, in people's homes has huge implications and burden for, for the poor, especially for the people that have to collect water, who are women, uh, there's also men and children that have to spend a significant amount of time collecting water. And in, in our analysis, uh, for when we're looking at you know, water in connection to social equality and poverty, we see how the policies or water planning policies that we try to, to inform the decision makers can can help with this aspect and when there's the absence of infrastructure investment and how the actions that we can inform can burden uh, can reduce this burden in these communities. And uh, you were asking about potential examples of promising solutions. There's a project that we are currently working in Bolivia where we're linking watershed management to water and sanitation in connection to poverty reduction to improve people's livelihoods. And this project is called Bolivia Watch and it's on the SCI website. And I think this could be a, a very interesting approach for integrated water resources management where 
we are linking the sanitation and hygiene components to watershed management that often is not is not linked or is that not happen and addressing these issues of lack of water to lack of water in people's homes cannot also help with poverty reduction and improve people's livelihoods. So we're, we're very happy to, to collaborate with stakeholders and decision-making organizations in three watersheds, in Tupisa, Chukiyapo, and Pampawari in, in Bolivia, working with the most. Thank you, Laura, for this answer. We are talking about water scarcity and pepper markets. So following Vishal's question and Laura's answer, Annette, I want to ask you how we should view water as a human right, public or private commodities, or all of them together? What is your opinion about that? That's a really important question. I think uh, from my perspective, water is first and foremost a human right. But I think we need to go beyond that and say that water also, we need to think of ecological rights to water as well. We have to recognize that as humans, we depend on ecosystems and we need to allocate water for ecosystems, even from a human-centric standpoint. So the first consideration should be basic human needs and water to, to keep our ecosystems healthy. These really need to go hand in hand. And from that perspective, I would say that the water in, in those roles is really play more of a public commodity. But once we fulfilled those obligations or those priorities, I think we could think of water as being both a public and or a private commodity. For the latter, when we think of water as a private commodity, it has to be set in a regulatory context. And by that, I mean when water is used for other purposes, there needs to be consideration for the impacts of that water allocation on downstream users. Is the water that returns into the system sufficient to meet the quantity and the quality needs for those downstream users? And if either of those is compromised, we have to start to think of either proactive actions that we can take to restore the needs of those downstream users or we can start to think of compensation systems where either upstream users compensate downstream users or downstream users compensate upstream users to keep that water of sufficient quantity and quality. So I think the most important thing is that we start the starting point when we think about water management and planning is this holistic view of water and its role for human health, ecological health, as well as our economic health, because we all of those pieces are important as we think about water on planet Earth. Thanks very much, Annette. Like you mentioned, water is uh, so valuable to essentially everything we do on this planet. It's, it's, what this, it's what makes life possible on this planet in the first place. Uh, I wanted to ask Laura again, uh, are there some other specific examples of SCI's work on valuing water and how do you think it can actually help protect this resource? Yes, Vishal. So Annette gave a, a fantastic outline of all the, the ways that we can tackle this topic of value in water, depending on the context and the problem to address. And in that sense, 
I want to share about the work in California. We worked with UC Riverside looking at collaborative actions for managed aquifer research, which is a strategy to uh, help growers save water in the case of drought, and linking that with economic optimization models and hydrological simulation models. So there's this integration or collaboration of economic and hydrological analysis that can help decision makers in, a, in this case in the Tulalia River watershed. We're also looking at salinity issues in the San Joaquin and again using this hydroeconomic analysis, looking at water quality models with economic optimization models and integrating them. Also in Cambodia, Annette and I, we both work, it's a different approach, more focused on ensuring people's livelihoods and looking at poverty and different dimensions of poverty, but it does connect with this topic of valuing water. So even if we're not doing economic optimization models, we are contributing to people's livelihoods and trying to contribute through water and water actions, informing policies that can reduce uh, poverty, right? poverty reduction efforts. And I think, Annette, there's projects that you're doing in, in Jordan. I don't know if you want to share about your work there and this connection, right, of economics and, and water resources. Thank you so much for that opening, Laura, and, and for these great examples. I actually wanted to share some work that we're doing right now in Rwanda that I find particularly exciting around linking water planning with macroeconomic modeling. And through that work, we've been able to demonstrate, in particular, not only to the Rwanda Water Board, but to the Ministry of Finance, the current dependence of the macro economy on hydropower and the implication for their focus right now is expansion of run of river hydropower, which leaves the macro economy quite vulnerable to climate change. So I see sort of the cutting edge of what SEI is doing is going to be increasingly looking at the role of water in the macro economy and how do we better prepare for climate change to build resilience into our water and macroeconomic modeling so that we have resilient strategies, robust strategies in how we plan for water and its connections to the many connections it plays out in the larger economy. So I think the beauty of some of the work that we've talked about here is some of the more micro work that we've done, let's say in Cambodia and California and demonstrating the linkage all the way up to the macro economy. Thank you, Laura, for your answer. And thank you, Annette, for, for your explanation. It's very useful for the audience. I have a question, Vishal. Yes. Yeah, of course. Thank you. How will the new energy and infrastructure bill that the government just passed help protect and value water? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, as this country and uh, California, especially leading the way, moves to more renewable energy futures, uh, that's uh, terrific from a greenhouse gas mitigation point of view. At the same time, our earlier work has shown that uh, the devil's in the details. So, for example, the way the kind of cooling methods you use for any choice of uh, energy production that you go into will have a big impact on whether you're actually conserving water or not, or saving it, or uh, leaving it in a state that it can be reused. So I think overall it's a good, uh, it's it's a great policy to move towards renewable energies. And I hope that there is more coordination between energy and water planning because our work has shown how how interlinked they are. Oh, thank you, thank you, Vishal. Vishal, we are closing this episode. Is there anything that you would like to add? beside this, the last part that you just mentioned? Well, JC, what we've heard is uh, 
that there are so many different ways of valuing water, you know, like Annette and Laura have uh, shown us, from right, right from human rights to water approaches to pretty sophisticated computer models that link uh, the economy to, to water resources systems and actually all the way to climate change. And no matter which perspective we use, uh, I think we should remember it's the outcome that matters and that we need to lend our voice to strengthen the voices of those who do not have the power to bring about change. And that includes the environment. I just want to thank uh, Annette and Laura for spotlighting some of the most important dimensions of this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vishal. Annette, Laura, where can people get more information about this topic, the value of water? I can speak First, maybe, and then Laura, you could follow up. And on SEI's website, we actually have under our water program a focal area on the value of water. And I believe all of the projects we have mentioned are highlighted in that at our website. And, and maybe the last little piece, maybe Laura, you could say something here too. It's UN Year of Valuing the Water, Valuing Water. So I think you could also find uh, some information at uh, the United Nations website. Yeah, and there's also uh, there's a repository on valuing water on the World Bank website as well. That's great. Thank you, Laura and Annette, for being our guests today. Thank you, Vishal, for being my co-host in this episode. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Water Stories. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you so much, everyone.